yes, it might not be 100% like ethical and correct, but at least they've f- done something about it rather than just moan about it. Hello, you're listening to Life's a Bags podcast, a podcast created to inform, empower and educate all in the experiences of women of colour. I'm your host, Ro. This week's episode features someone who has extensive experience in marketing and developing end-to-end campaigns with some exciting global brands and yes, your favourite influencers. She is the founder of Manchester's First Influencer Marketing Agency and is currently campaigning for fairer representation in the media for East and Southeast Asians in relation to coronavirus reporting. I'm joined by Viv Yao, founder of Be Influence and host of her own podcast called But Where Are You From? In this episode, Viv and I discussed the realities of being an Asian female entrepreneur, her ambitions in influencer marketing and the fight for equality to reduce the influencer pay gap and tackle racial bias. Viv has developed plenty of opportunities through building her networks and influencing skills throughout her career. She provides a fantastic lesson on how to build your influence. You don't want to miss Viv's tips on how to stand out as a content creator and gain interest from talent management and marketing agencies. Let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Viv. So excited to have you on and happy to have our first Northerner. (gasps) First Northerner. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I can't believe I'm the first Northerner. I feel (laughs) honoured. And let's just get you to introduce yourself. So who is Viv? Viv is, (laughs) she talks about herself in third person. Um, So I am a British-born Chinese person that grew up in Warrington. I work in influencer marketing. To be specific, I own an influencer marketing agency called Be Influence. And Mm -hmm. I also host a podcast called But Where Are You From? And it's a podcast basically about being British-born Chinese, about my life essentially, and almost my own self-discovery into what it means for my own cultural identity. So just talk us through how you got started out in your career, maybe in media, and then talk about how you made that transition to influencer marketing. Yeah, of course. So I studied marketing at university and that wasn't really the path that I wanted to go down because Mm -hmm. I had tried to apply to do English language at Lancaster University. And during college, a bit of a context, my dad was really ill at the time. He went to America because he got diagnosed with cancer. And so he and my mum, they went to America, they chose to go to America to get treated for this very specific rare type of cancer. Um, And Mm -hmm. so they were away for like most of my college life. And so obviously that impacted our family massively. I've got a twin sister and a an older sister who two, who's two and a half oh. years older. And we essentially mm-hmm. were about 16, 17, trying to run the family takeaway, trying to run our own households, just trying to keep our lives together whilst um, mm-hmm. trying to do college stuff. And so I, I actually didn't get bad grades. It just wasn't enough to get into Lancaster. I got BBC in the end. Um, that is not bad. It's okay. Like I'm, I was fine with that. And, and I wanted to do English language. Mm-hmm. Myself and my twin sister, we both actually applied for the same course at the same uni because we wanted to go to Lancaster <laughs> together. Um, and then we both didn't get in, but she ended up going in through clearing and then managing to do that course. And then I ended up mm-hmm. at Manchester Metropolitan University on the consumer marketing course. I had instant imposter syndrome when I got there because it was really mm-hmm. weird feelings of like disappointing your family because you didn't get the grades that they expected. Um mm just feeling like 
this isn't the place that I wanted to be. I wanted to be in Lancaster. I didn't want to be in Manchester. And then almost kind of like resenting the course because I was like, I didn't choose to do this. Um, And also probably feeling like I wasn't cool enough to study marketing, which is just stupid when I think back now. What makes you cool to study marketing? Yeah. Like what what qualifications do you need in terms of coolness? So it was like a really weird time when I was like just a bit lost in the first year of uni and I ended up wanting to quit. So I went to my form tutor and I said, can I quit uh, this course and do something else? And to be honest, I just picked another subject that sounded easy. <laughs> it was just like the only option I felt like in my life at the time. And so I was going to do, what was it like, you know, like social studies. I, I don't even know whether mm. it is easy or not. I've no, I don't even know anything about social studies, but it sounded easier than marketing. Because <laughs> I just thought I failed as well. Like I did my exams and I was like, I failed this. I don't know why I'm, t- I'm on this course. Mm. And I got the results back and I was like, oh, f- I've got first. I've got first in the first. There you go. Yeah, not bad. You have more belief in yourself. I know. Truly, it's a lesson of belief because second and third year, I, I got a first in the second year. And then I was like, okay, maybe for the third year, we could carry on in the trajectory and maybe I could actually get first yeah so I basically just worked really hard and then I graduated with a first from uni but with absolutely zero marketing experience so I was like great got to get a job now where do I start I only had like takeaway experience just working in my <laughs> cousin's restaurant my mum and dad's takeaway my other cousin's fish and chip shop like that's literally all I had on my oh, CV wow. and so like for any students who might be listening I think experience <laughs> is so vital so 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 vital and like now mm-hmm. when I employ people I don't even look at where they went to uni or their grades or whatnot I just look at what work they've done I think that speaks yeah volume. I think times have changed now as well everything's yeah. more about that practical experience yeah exactly exactly and so I luckily managed to get an internship for three months at a design agency which then turned into a full-time job I eventually moved to an advertising agency called TBWA Manchester and so I went for an interview there and um, it was out of six people and I think I was the yeah I'm pretty sure I remember being like the only Chinese person and I look back now and I'm like did I get the job because like to fill a diversity quota yeah. you know I like to think it was based on kind of meritocracy but you just don't know do you um, and then behind the kind of like my working life I had always had an interest in watching influencers so I remember being really young and mm. watching people on the internet who looked like me for the first time ever so like beauty mm. influencers like Bub's Beauty and like there's loads of American mm. Chinese influences that I used to watch and then even like UK ones like Zoella and Tanya Burr and Jim Chapman and you know like crew of like mm-hmm. UK YouTubers back then yeah first wave and so I had had an interest in just doing that in my spare time I really enjoyed watching them and then and so um I saw a job come from Twitter because I think I followed Zoella's manager Maddie Chester on Twitter and then it came mm-hmm. up with this role which was called talent coordinator for the agency called Glean Futures, which Zoella is represented by. And then I just, one evening, just said to my dad, "This is, he, he had, was still around at this point. And mm-hmm. I remember saying to him, dad, if I apply for a job in London, what do you think? And he was like, go for it, do it, just see what happens. And so mm-hmm. I did, and then um, got called in for an interview to go down to London. And I was like, 
got to go down to London. <laughs> it's big and scary place. It's a big thing though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're from the north and like the L- London just seems like a completely different city and mm-hmm. very just, you know, it's quite intimidating as a city, I think, if you're not from there. Yeah, so got a second interview with them and then basically got the job with Gleam Futures as a talent coordinator, which I still, even when Amazing. I started the job, I was like, what does this mean? I don't even know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> All I knew was that they represented influencers and these influencers mm-hmm. worked with brands, they published their own books, they launched their own jewelry lines, makeup brushes, whatever it might be. That was kind of, um, mm-hmm. that was the, the job essentially was helping them in some way. And a lot of people thought it was like a production type of role, but really it was a mm. case of assisting and, and, and strategizing with the influencers in terms of their careers because they are essentially business people. Like a lot of the top tier influencers are very, very lucrative in a lot of um, avenues. So not just mm-hmm. creating content, but being business owners. And so I basically moved down to London and it was a really tough decision because my dad was getting progressively worse in terms of his own health. And yeah. I knew that it was going to be a bit of a, a tough gamble kind of being down in London whilst mm-hmm. I knew my dad didn't, re- we didn't know how long he had really, like the doctors didn't give us an estimate at that stage. And so yeah, yeah made the trip down to London and then ended up in a new space entirely yeah honestly it was just on my first week I remember we um went to a filming for comic relief and on my second day I remember just seeing like Davine McCall walking past me and then that (laughs) French guy from what's it called that show the first dates and you know yeah just people I'd seen on tv and I was just like Mm -hmm. oh my god this is crazy Um, they're real (laughs) real and then um, (laughs) like watching Zoella watching uh, Tanya Burr and seeing them in the office and then like becoming colleagues with them essentially because they come in so often that that kind of shine went very quickly in terms of like this isn't just a person that I see on the internet anymore this is a real person yeah yeah and that's how I essentially got into working in influence marketing what was it like making that transition from working you know with Zoella and all of those influencers to creating your own influencer marketing agency during my time in London, my dad had passed away about a year into me living in, no, actually not even that, about less than a year into me living in London. And so mm-hmm. I was spending a lot of time kind of back back up north, going going back and forth essentially and wasted so much, not, yeah. not wasted, but spent a lot of my savings going up to see mm-hmm. the family and everything. And it was kind of one um, Christmas where I just had the best time with my family. And I was like, mm-hmm. why am I in London? What? what am I doing this for like I what brings me happiness is being with my family and my friends and I've been away from them for so long and I I looked for any excuse to come back up north all the time so if we had any jobs up north and it was on the weekend I would always say like let me do it so I always was yearning to come back home and I think I'm just naturally a homebody anyway and so I decided to yeah give my resignation in and then come back up north and I and I actually came back up north without a job for the first time ever. Like since I was 14, mm. I've always worked in like either the takeaway or whatever, like always had some form of a job and then yeah. came back up north. So the original plan was that I was offered a job that this media agency had created a role for, um, kind of bearing in mind my influencer experience, but they were very much mm-hmm. a traditional agency in that sense. So it was a new role that they were trying to create for me. And then yeah. for whatever reason there was some stuff going on internally in terms of the company as a whole, the parent company. And so I didn't get that job. And so I was like, I've told everyone in London that I'm coming back up north to do this job when really I'm just going to be unemployed. 
<laughs> and so I came back up north and had like literally a month where I was just completely free and I loved every second of it. I loved every second. It's so liberating. Oh my God, it was so great. It was honestly like, just because I just thought to myself, I'm going to be working for the rest of my life. Like a mm-hmm. month off isn't going to do me much harm. But then my mum would probably attest to that because I think she remembers when I freaked out quite a few times being like, mum, I've got no money. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> I moved back into the family home. I had no outgoings. I had like a bit of money saved up, so I was fine. Mm-hmm. And I just took that opportunity to meet loads of people. So those relationship building skills that you build doing that, it helps further down the line within something else for whatever reason. So that month, I just like hauled my heart and soul into networking so I was actually still busy actually and getting offered jobs there was quite a few actually I was very lucky in the sense that I was being offered jobs but just none that I wanted and that I felt like really (laughs) it made me feel that excited yeah that fulfilled Mm. and my mum was just like can you please just choose a job and I was like (laughs) oh I don't really like this one though so I'm just gonna wait a bit longer (laughs) um and so just through chance of networking again I ended up meeting my now investor and my now investor he owns a fast fashion company and mm-hmm. he also invested in lots of kind of young startups essentially i just told him about a bit about my experience i just basically said i went down to london worked here came back up north looking for something but i don't want to work in fashion and that's literally all he knew and then he offered me the opportunity to start my own agency because he's just a big enabler of helping young people Uh, which I truly, truly could not have started the business without firstly his confidence and secondly his investment, obviously. But Mm. in terms of just positioning myself as an entrepreneur, my I didn't I didn't ever think I would be one. I didn't think that I had what it took Mm. to be what you call an entrepreneur. Because I thought to be an entrepreneur you had to be callous and mean and very, very money driven and very, very um There's that stereotype that comes with it. The, the white man, essentially, a white man in a suit, <laughs> um, which I'm completely the opposite from. So I was very, very lucky to have been offered that experience. And then I was kind of just like, do I take this or not? Because it was almost too good to be true at the time, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't seem like it was a real deal because he had never, this man to this day has never seen my experience. Like he's never seen my CV, sorry. He's wow. never read my CV or like <laughs> his team have done background checks, obviously. But in terms of like him himself, he's a very mm-hmm. like numbers driven guy but also very much, very, very highly emotionally intelligent at the same time, which is exceptionally rare, I think, to to be both and to be very, very good at both as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was very lucky to, have, to be in that position to be on a salary and focus on my job to create a business, essentially. It was a dream opportunity. Mm-hmm. My gut was telling me to just do it because at the end of the day, what did I have to lose? I was already unemployed. <laughs> It's not like I had anything to lose from a, you know, my life perspective and also a capital perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had everything to gain. I had literally everything to gain from doing this. And so I went for it. Wow. So was it your idea? Would you say it was more his idea and you are the person that's kind of running with it? When he said, do you want to start an agency? In terms of Mm -hmm. what it was, I think he was very open and I was very open. And I knew at the time 
I didn't want it to be a talent management agency. I felt like it wasn't something that Manchester needed. But what I did notice when I was searching for jobs in Manchester was the, the lack of influencer marketing agencies out there who worked with clients, essentially. So pull together full end-to-end influencer marketing campaigns. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I spoke to him and I said, I don't want to start a talent management agency. I want to start an influencer marketing agency because there's nothing like this in Manchester. The initial goal was to service Manchester clients clients but actually very very fortunately we outgrew that original goal of being a Manchester agency because our clients are now all over the world from China to the US and London we and Scotland and we have very few Manchester clients now actually so we just today we've launched um a, an entirely new propositioning to reflect my values as a person to be an inclusive a truly inclusive influencer marketing agency where we represent clients and campaigns that have truly diverse influences mm. within the campaigns and I think that is way more important and it's something that I'd been thinking about for a good few months now and I think Black Lives Matter definitely was a propeller and a catalyst for this change in the agency but it was something that I had considered just being as an East Asian person myself just noticing like there's no there's no Chinese influences really why is why is there not and also working in um white dominated offices throughout my whole yeah. life literally my whole life and not feeling like really like I did fit in because I was very white assimilating in so many ways but then almost feeling like there's something missing but I don't know what it is and Mm. so that's so today we launched not just our complete change in our proposition as an influence marketing agency but also we've launched a talent management arm to the business where we are looking for new talent who are from BAME um, ethnicities from um, people who are disabled um, LGBTQ plus communities marginalized communities we really actively encourage all these communities to apply to be represented because we want to see just more diverse campaigns naturally we want to just see it naturally in the industry going forward that's amazing though that you've um, decided to go down that lane now and it's been sparked by what's going on as well around you mm, yeah I just I just think like it's when you look into kind of like your deeper values and stuff and what you actually believe in like it, re- it really was so separate to my business and I was just like do you know what it's not good enough what we're doing at the moment and I hold my hands up that like, we have fallen foul of the you know the social algorithms in terms of it's serving us predominantly white people mm-hmm. Definitely. So actually, it'll be quite interesting to get your thoughts on um, the recent posts of influencers and how much they're getting paid. Have you yeah. seen that? Oh, yes. That going influencer I, pay gap. It's so interesting, isn't it? And to be honest, I think I have a very different opinion to what most people in the influencer marketing industry have. Uh, when I saw it come up, I was like, this is very interesting. Looked into it further to see who was behind it. And it was a, a black talent management agency who wanted to shine a light on the disparity between black creators versus what their white counterparts were being paid. Mm-hmm. And so I remember seeing a very um, like influential person in their own right in terms of the, the influencer space, mm-hmm. a white person, may I add, post on LinkedIn that this Instagram page was completely unprofessional. It was abhorrent. It completely 
derails the um, the work that we've done in terms of professionalism in the industry. And then I was just like, hold on, wait a second here, wait a second here. Okay, firstly, what is the goal of this page here? The goal of this page is to highlight the differences that black people are getting paid versus white people. It is not to professionalize the industry? And also, what are your beliefs here? Do you truly believe that professionalizing the influencer marketing industry is more important than black people getting paid fairly? Thirdly, or I can't remember how many leads I've done, but in terms of like, you are just jealous because you haven't got there first. Like this page has actually done something about it. And yes, it might not be 100% like ethical and correct, but at least they've done something about it rather than just moan about it. Mm. And like, it's the first time that I've truly seen um any any platform truly call out what people are getting paid yeah like for the first time ever ever Mm. in the influence marketing space i'm all for it and at some stage we might be pulled up on it we might have some influencers who (laughs) who like submit our brand brand deals and stuff but you know what if it's helping the cause in terms of fairer pay and fairer representation then i'm like yes go for it i was so happy to see that it was happening in some way and then that might help other people then pull together something that might be a bit more um i don't know palatable for white people i guess in terms of like how do we create a you know a fairer um fairer pay for everyone it's like the gender pay gap reporting no one's going to do anything about unless they're held accountable and now people are fixing Mm. their gender pay gap aren't they Exactly, exactly. I mean, we, I feel like we've still got a long way to go on both both aspects, but I do feel like at least there's now a conversation around it. People who've been all for it have been people of colour. People yeah. who haven't have been white people who think this is complete, completely abhorrent to the influence of the marketing industry. <laughs> like, oh, f*** off. <laughs> But there's an education piece that needs to be done around that as well. Like if we're educating like influencers and saying, right, this is how much you should be, you know, Mm. maybe some people just don't have that education. That's what it is. Yeah, it it certainly sparked kind of what we can do further to be more transparent. And I do think there is, with a lot of influencers that I've worked with, like a lot of them will just sign contracts without even reading them. And half the time, they don't know what they're signing. Like they're signing away their IP, their intellectual property, which is you, like that's you, what you've created and you're signing, giving that away. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to, with this new talent management arm of the business we are going to put together workshops for influencers to give them more information in terms of how to manage yourselves and how to negotiate your own brand deals and make sure that you're getting paid fairly Mm -hmm. because to be honest because people ask me all the time how much do influencers get paid but it's such a wide question. Yeah. Yeah, that like w- there is no standard rate that influencers get paid because it's still such a new industry. We are all still trying to figure it out together when what's fair and what isn't fair. You're right in the sense that we just need more information out there and resources for not just brands and agencies, but influencers, everyone to mm-hmm. just work together and be more ethical in how we work. Definitely, for sure. How do you feel about the pressure that society has put on some influencers to use their voices for good? I think, what have they got to lose? Like, if we're talking about specifically white people who are posting these, like, what have they got to lose for them to post? Absolutely nothing. Mm. It makes a difference for them to post. But then I do think that there's a lot of people who are scared to say anything because they don't want it to seem performative and, like, virtue signalling and just, like, they're doing Mm. it because everyone else seems to be doing it, which was definitely, I think the case when you know we've seen like our feeds go back to normal now there's less resources being shared there's less white allyship in that sense um 
I really hope that we see more and more industries do more to change, like genuinely do more to change. But I think it's going to be so difficult when we look at systemic and structural racism and just the fact that we are faced with, again, um, majoritively white white, uh, dominated industries. Um, It's going to be a difficult challenge to face. Um, Essentially, we have been campaigning for fairer East and Southeast Asian representation in the media when it comes to coronavirus, because we just noticed more and more media outlets are posting East and Southeast Asian people when it comes Uh to anything remotely related to coronavirus. For us, it's been a death by a thousand cuts because we've not just seen it in the guardian we've seen it in the bbc who actually did do something about it when we complained we've seen it on the uk government's facebook posts um it's it's everywhere and so we yesterday sarah owen who is a british east asian labor mp mm-hmm. she actually raised the petition in parliament which was insane mm-hmm. and firstly to get a petition to parliament you usually have to do it on the government's website which we didn't do we did i did i create this website this petition on change.org so mm-hmm. i was like I'm not going to get this into Parliament or anything because it's not going to be seen. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you need 10,000 signatures for it to be seen by an MP, which mm-hmm. we didn't have. We've only got over 3,000, well, not only, but we have 3,000 signatures, which is amazing, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. Thirdly, to get it raised in Parliament, you need 100,000 signatures. And so, like, so the fact that we had bypassed this, thanks to Sarah Owen, who is a British East Asian person who mm-hmm. understands what it's like to be affected by the media, and, and I'm sure she's just seen it all over the place as well. Mm-hmm. She managed to completely just take this straight into the source itself. Yeah. Um, and now we've got a meeting with the women's minister to talk about this issue. Amazing. So when you go into that meeting, what are you hoping to achieve? That's a that's a good question. <laughs> um, I I want to see fairer representation for everyone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I want it to be a case of standing up for all forms of racism. Yeah. Um, I do think that I want them to put a law against using any form of discriminatory imagery in in the media, which may perpetrate any negative stereotypes or narratives whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's what I want out of it. That's what essentially I want the media to just stop doing it. Full stop for Mm. every race for every Mm. single race like I think it's just abhorrent that we still have to go through this so that's what I want out of it but you know we'll see we'll see like we'll see but no that's such a great achievement honestly like you said to bypass all of those different um rules and regulations that they put in place to make it so difficult for people um to be heard that's Mm. really amazing you got it to that point so congratulations and I hope you get something great that comes out of it really I hope so too um I just yeah also acknowledging that it's not just me as well I started the petition but without people actually signing and sharing Mm -hmm. it and I I luckily have there's there's five five other East Asian and Southeast Asian women in this WhatsApp group who Mm -hmm. we all just found each other on Instagram because we were Mm -hmm. all complaining about the same thing and now we've got like a little team of us to to petition for this campaign which is just you know insane and it's it's very much needed because I think in terms of the Asian community we Mm -hmm. very much have lived up to the like the model minority myth where we're like good little Asians who keep our head down and we don't make a fuss or say anything and that's I very much played up to that for a long time as well like I thought Mm. to myself you know well at least like like UK people don't think that we cause any trouble like that must be a good thing surely and then as I've gotten older I'm like actually this is 
is just playing into the white rhetoric again like it doesn't help us in, in the slightest so you know it's been a real big realization of mine the past the past year I'd say in terms of like figuring out racism myself and what it means to be Chinese essentially. So what has been your biggest challenge with the business and how have you overcome it? I would say definitely owning the fact that I am what I say I am like a founder of a company and believing in myself I think in that way and also the imposter syndrome or it's definitely imposter syndrome but it's I think it's also yeah I think it's that (laughs) I think it's that um and also because I've had so many people come up to me to say like you know just like casual I don't even know whether it's casual sexism or racism I can't tell anymore but it's something anyway where they've been like oh you wrote UMB Influence or like when I've been at networking events and people have assumed that the, the white guy that I'm stood next to that I work for them even though like that event was for agency founders do you know what I mean like yeah. it, I think trying to just overcome that essentially mm. <laughs> trying to overcome that as a person um but it's been a blessing in the sense that that's probably why I've looked so much into my identity as a woman and as a, as a woman of color mm-hmm. because it's the first time really that I've experienced it so much and so often by putting myself out there uh, in terms of like actual business challenges like just just had so much drama you know like so when I first started the business and I, I left this out of the narrative to be honest but in terms of starting the business I started it with a co-founder and I had to essentially tell him to stop working here anymore because mm. it wasn't a healthy relationship and I felt like it was very much like this man was trying to use me as the PA of the company oh, when gosh. we were equal shareholders and so yeah. that was a big part of um like their own business growth and as soon as I had let go of that um working relationship things just started really good things started happening to the business <laughs> we were winning more business really <laughs> yeah literally I was like oh my god is this what needed to happen and so that was a very very tricky challenge to wow. overcome and also having to let go of people as well as in like having to sack employees too oh. um I remember letting go an employee and I had a panic attack straight away like as soon as I got in the car I just like broke down I was driving back to the office but I couldn't like contain myself um from just having a breakdown in the car because I think like you know obviously the the recipient has it way worse because they've Uh been sacked but also I think for the people doing the sacking it's not a nice thing to tell someone it's horrible to do that to someone um but again it was like one of those difficult business decisions that I had to do for the benefit of the business essentially. So what's some advice you'd give to someone perhaps in that situation that has to depart from someone that isn't um, necessarily on the same wavelength as them when it comes to their business? I would say at that stage if you've already made that decision then don't list off like a reel of reasons why you're letting go of this person because this person is already going to feel rubbish enough Mm. and so if they interrogate and ask you what are the reasons why this is certainly my own stance and I don't know whether it's right for everyone. I would just say, you're not right for the business. I don't, Mm. I don't think there's any point of being like, you were this, you were that, you were like, blah, 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 like all this kind of stuff. When this person is already going through probably a hard time in their life, um, being unemployed unexpectedly as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely think you have to save them as much dignity as you're able to um because and and also you just never want to leave things on a bad note because you never know that person might come back around later on in another it's very small industry so you just don't know when you're going to bump into that person again there is no point trying to score points at this stage or try to you know 
use it as an opportunity for you to release everything that you've been feeling about this particular person Mm. so what led to you starting your podcast but where are you from so I started the podcast because well I had this idea for I think over a year I remember writing on my uh, notes on my phone like some ideas in terms of what I could talk about on Mm -hmm. this podcast and I was talking with my sisters about how there's barely any podcasts for um, British East Asian people, are there? Especially specifically British-born Chinese people. Mm. Um, and we just listen to a lot of Asian-American podcasts, mm-hmm. which whilst there's obviously shared experiences, like they're across the, is it the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah, <laughs> what <was> Atlantic. <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> just wanted to double check. Um, <laughs> and so our experiences are going to be quite different in terms of like culturally. And so... I was just like, why is there not one? And then lockdown happened and I ended up having a lot more free time, obviously. And so I just, I just decided to do it. Like every single step of the way, I had to Google what to do. Like I had to Google how to start a podcast, how to record a podcast, how to host a podcast, how to put it live, how to get it on Spotify. Like all these different steps, every Mm -hmm. single step was Googled. I did not have any production or sound engineering experience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. As an owner of an influencer marketing agency, what do you look for in content creators? So I very much, and I think I'm biased towards what I like myself. I like to look for talent who have depth in what they're saying in terms of their the captions, um, mm-hmm. the quality of their content, whether it's artistic in any way, or if they have a certain angle, like if they're an expert in something, if they're like, I don't know, you notice they're a scientist as well as a content creator or something mm-hmm. like that, that has a bit of a hug. That's what I really look for in terms of... Um, talent because I think it has to go way more for me than just like pretty pictures on Instagram there has to be some form of like genuine talent there and love for creating content Uh yeah and obviously looking at diversity looking at all types of influences that I had previously not come across before I don't want to see the same type of blonde hair blue eyed influencer on my feed I want a mixture of all sorts on there Mm-hmm. so where can the people find you um people can find me on instagram i'm it's viv yao we'll put the links in below as well so people can click onto it and find you for anyone trying to get ahead relationship building should be your core focus those invaluable skills that you build through networking will open some doors and you never know it just might lead you to a potential investor it's now time for speak on it Our Speak On It segment is a quick fire round where guests have 30 seconds per word to give their views on buzzwords that resonate well with their worlds. Let's see how it went with Viv. So the first one is feminism. I'm a feminist, but you can't truly be a feminist until we all understand and build up people of colour first. Mm -hmm. Manchester? Manchester is the friendliest city in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Influencer? Influencer is a term that doesn't really encapsulate the talent that comes with the job, I think. Mm-hmm. Representation? Representation needs to be truly inclusive. Marketing? Is my job. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Networking? <laughs> don't like it, but don't underestimate its effectiveness. Ah. But yes, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you, Rose. It's been really good. I'm sorry. I feel like I've chewed your ear off the entire time. No, this has been so good. We've just had like a really good conversation. Thanks for having me. Episode seven wraps up nicely with Viv. A big thank you to Viv for sharing her stories and advice.
If you have a few moments, please do get behind her petition for fairer representation for East and Southeast Asian people in the UK media. We'll share the link in the show notes. Please do continue to let us know what you think about the podcast by connecting with us on Instagram at Life's a Bags Podcast. We'll be releasing the next episode in a fortnight, so be sure to subscribe and follow us for regular updates. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Collective London.